Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, a, del- a day of celebrating our God and examining what He has for our lives. And it's just such a, as Lee was mentioning, it's such a privilege to gather when we truly think about it and to gather in freedom, to gather in safety, to gather with our spirits uplifted in the Holy Spirit. And to gather, especially around the Word of God. And so we're going to be finishing our series this morning on the the mission of the gospel. And if you're just joining us, what we've been doing is basically walking through uh, some of the implications that the gospel has in our lives and, and mainly the mission that we have as the people of God to bring restoration in all these areas of life. Now, We've looked at restoration with God and our relationship with God. We've looked at restoration with self and restoration with others. And and all of these things are pointing to the reality that something is broken in these relationships. Who experiences some sense of brokenness and fracture in the way we relate to some of those areas, right? We we experience brokenness. And and the reason why we, we desire restoration is because God created us to experience wholeness. God created us to experience what the Hebrews called shalom, a wholeness and completeness where everything is right in our world and nothing is fractured and broken. And part of the mission that we have as the church then is to pursue those things and to to pursue them in our own lives, but to pursue them for the world around us so that the world can experience the the wholeness and restoration with Jesus themselves. And so we've went through a few categories of, of God, other self, and today we get to the category of creation, restoring relationship with creation. Now, what do I mean by creation? What are we talking about when we talk about creation? Well, creation is really how God brings into existence everything in the universe. Uh, Deuteronomy ten fourteen says this, it says, to you, the Lord God, you be- to you belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And so when we talk about creation, we're talking about God's bringing everything into the universe that had no existence prior to his creative words. In other words, we're talking about everything that was made into existence made by God. And so there's a few categories for that we could talk about. We could talk about how earth, our world, our cosmos was all created by God. We could talk about the heavens and the expanse of of that. We could talk about different species and origins that we have in this world. We could talk about the origins of seeds that produce plants. Basically, when I'm talking about creation, I'm talking about everything, okay? So get that category in your mind. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Why do we need to be restored in relationship to creation? What's the implication? That something is broken. That something is fractured. Now, what I often find interesting, we, we easily have vocabulary and definitions and understandings of what it means to be in a fractured relationship with God. We have understandings and we can describe how we have fractured relationships with ourselves. We, we have categories to understand fractured relationship with others, but this final category, we don't have that much great terminology on. We don't have a, a great understanding of how our relationship with creation is actually 
broken. And, and so I want to begin to explore that a little bit this morning with us. And, and I want to begin from the story of creation. Now, at the very beginning of the story of the Bible, we read in Genesis 1:26 to 28 this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in what? In our image, after our likeness. And let them have what? Dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, in other words, this is a commandment, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, over the heavens, over every little thing that moves on the earth. And so we, we begin in the story of God's creation with God's calling of humanity to use the earth wisely and govern it with the same sense of responsibility and care that God himself has towards all of creation. And then we see this later on in the same story. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord took the man, took humanity, and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to keep it. So this is humanity's fulfilling of its responsibility to work in the Garden of Eden. In other words, they have this responsibility to keep the garden, to work it, to take care of creation. Now, this all sounds good and dandy, but something horrible happens, doesn't it? Where does this story turn awry? At this point in the story, humanity has this intimate, beautiful relationship with creation. What happens in the story? Disobedience, sin, humanity's desire to rule creation the way we want to rule creation, not the way God desires and so we read this later on in Genesis 3. It says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. In other words, they, they sin to God by saying, We want to be in control. We want to take control of this world. We want to live in our own wisdom in our own eyes. We don't trust you, God. And so it says, Even though they took of the, the tree, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In your pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, but the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, this is a way because sin entered into the world, because of humanity's rebellion, we now have creation doing what? Working against us. Working against us. And so now this fracture between humanity and relation or the creation happens. Now, we see this disruption, this harmonious relationship that originally existed between humans and nature just dissipate and experience brokenness now. Now, something I want to clarify before we go on it's something we need to realize. Um, does God's calling to work for humanity 
Is that a calling that happens before sin enters the world? Yes, right? We just read it in, in chapter 215. There, there was a calling of humanity that hasn't to do with our sin and our rebellion, but a part of humanity that is supposed to be good and to work and to work for fruition and bring um, harmonious relationship to creation. However, we see now in the story that sin has corrupted it. And, and this is why we see Paul then say in Romans 8, 20, 22, he says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be what? Set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of what? Childbirth until now. That's sort of a reference back to the creation account. And so what Paul is saying is saying that as a result of sin in this world, creation itself is groaning. And creation itself is longing for restoration. Creation itself is longing to be restored. And so what does it mean then to have a restored relationship with creation? What does it mean for us as the people of God? If this is part of the calling of the very people of God from the original plans of God, how do we experience restoration with creation? See, again, we can often describe our relationship with God and others and ourselves, but how do we describe our relationship with creation? Well, let me bring a few thoughts out from other thinkers, and then I want to narrow our focus in the conversation a little bit. But this is what Billy Graham says. He says, why should we be concerned about the environment, about the creation of God? It isn't just because of the dangers we face from pollution, climate change, or other environmental problems, although these are serious. For Christians, the issue is much deeper. We know that God created the world, and it belongs to him, not us. Because of this, we are only stewards or trustees of God's creation, and we aren't to abuse or neglect it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live it, reference to Psalm 24. And when we fail to see the world as God's creation, we will end up abusing it. Selfishness and greed take over, and we end up not caring about the environment or the problems we're creating for future generations. Let me give you one more thought. N.T. Wright says this. Very famous scholar and theologian. He says, God builds God's kingdom. But God ordered his world in such a way that his own work within that world takes place, not least through the human beings who reflect his image. He has enlisted us to act as his stewards in the project of creation. Through the work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, he equips humans to help. The objection about us trying to build God's kingdom by our own efforts, though it seems humble and pious, can actually be a way of hiding from responsibility, of keeping one's head well down when the boss is looking 
for volunteers. <laughs> and what people like Billy Graham and N.T. Wright are bringing up here is that when we talk about creation and our responsibility to care for creation and our relationship with creation, the foundation there is, first of all, theological. It's very much theological. The way we understand our relationship with God and the calling that he has placed upon our lives has everything to do with how we interact with the world around us. And N.T. Wright is sort of poking the joke that he says, you know, we, we understand the theology that God is building his kingdom. God is going to renew creation, amen? That's a hope that we hold on to. God is renewing creation. That's in his hands. That's his job. That's what he's doing. That's what he's promised. And N.T. Wright is saying that the temptation for us as the church is to say, oh, well, well God is going to renew his creation and so we'll just let it burn to the ground and God's going to do his work one day, right? And N.T. Wright's saying, no, 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 no. That's not the calling the people of God have. The, the calling of the people of God is to work with him, to, to cast a restoration of our relationship with creation. And he sort of makes the joke of it's tempting for us to sort of just hide out in the corner when the boss is looking for volunteers, right? And it's understanding that, no, this is a responsibility that we must hold on to and we must pursue. And so what does this look like then? How do we bring restoration? Now, in my mind, there's a thousand avenues that we could go at this point, right? I mean, this is where my mind was extremely scatterbrained in writing this sermon, just to warn you. So it might be a little everywhere still. I was trying to lock it down, but even now it's everywhere. But, but even like to bring restoration and creation, like what are some things that we're thinking about and talking about? What would that refer to in a very practical level? What does that look like? Yeah, sort of some sense of environmentalism, right? To, to make sure that we're not abusing creations, to make sure that we're, yes, God gave it to us as resources, but there's one thing to use a resource and one thing to abuse it, right? So a sense of environmentalism. And I know that's very controversial in Alberta here when we talk about environmentalism being part of the gospel. When I was preaching in BC, this would be no issue, but I know it's an issue here. So I'll tiptoe around that for a while, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, environmentalism. Yeah, that's beautiful, Eric, right? That responsibility of the mentality of a farmer to cultivate the land and to care for it, to make sure that it's not just ripped apart and abused for one season, but can be passed on to generations so fruition continues and continues, right? Very much that stewardship of the land. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, when I hear you say bloom, I'm thinking literally even. Is planting flowers not an act of worship? Or planting? What, I mean, plant, I know many of you enjoy gardening and planting. That's why I'm bringing this up. But what is, what is planting a, a, a row of flowers accomplish? Beauty. Does God not long for more Beauty. I mean, look at God's creation. Of course, he longs for beauty to be in this world, right? Uh, I used to be, my mentality of gardening was I only plant vegetables because I'm very practical, whatever about flowers. But now I'm like, wait a second. God longs for beauty. 
And part of our creation care and part of even rest, uh, having dominion and subduing creation is to bring beauty out of chaos, right? That's another aspect. Yeah, and sunflowers are there. I'm going in that direction now. <laughs> Good point here. What are some other ways that we can think of our relationship to creation? Yeah, Leslie. Yeah, caring for the animals, right? And this guy right in front of me, what's a big part of his responsibility? Is making sure that we don't have a bunch of hunters just killing off everything, right? And, and there's a purpose behind that. And not only is there a necessity practically for a job like John's, but there's a reality that this is part of our theological grounding of what it means to care for animals, right? To make sure that we're not abusing what God has blessed us with. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Len? Yeah, embracing the seasons that God brings for us, right? I mean, if you were to go a plant right now, you'd look pretty ridiculous, right? And so it's releasing some of that control or aspirations we have for self and saying, God, this is the way you frame creation around us. I'm going to align and live in light of what this season is or what's happening at this time and place. Yeah. Yeah, the heart of greed. I mean, this is what produces, as John, you're mentioning, this is what produces so much of the abuse of creation. Is I'm going to get what's mine now, or it's not ours at all, right? But we have this sense of entitlement to it, of, of taking and taking and taking with no consideration of the future or others, right? This sense of greed corrupts our relationship with creation. Very good point. And so, as you guys have noticed... There's a thousand directions that I could go <laughs> right now when we talk about restoring our relationship with creation. But I, I want to focus on more of a narrowed aspect. And it's, it's, it's narrowed to the point of, I want to bring it back to the, the Genesis account. When, when I went back to Genesis, this is where I was really convicted that this was the path I need to go on. And partly because if it was all in environmentalism, I know some of you would tune me out <laughs> anyway. But... But let's go in this direction. What does it mean to be restored to creation? And when we think about that, when, when we look at the creation account, we see that our relationship with creation is, is deeply shown in our relationship to what? What was some of the curse that humanity experienced? Yeah, which symbolizes or represents what? Our, our work, right? Our vocation, the calling we had to be stewards and cultivators is now distorted. It's corrupted. Our, our very work and the way we respond to creation has now experienced some sense of corruption. And so I want to look primarily through that lens and what that looks like in our lives and what restoration in those areas looks like. So what I want to focus on is not so much the calling we have to care for creation, although I think that's a major part of the, the scriptures and the calling we have as the church, but what I want to focus on is primarily our calling and our mission to be restored to creation by recreation. By recreation. How do we experience recreation? And so we realize that all of these brokenness 
that we experience in creation needs to be restored. I mean, we live with a great sense of dependence on creation, and as soon as we lose this responsibility or abuse this responsibility, there's massive implications for what comes of it. And so our calling then in our vocations is to be people of restoration. And so how does this come to mind? What do you think of, first of all, when you think of the word recreation? Does it remind you of another word? Pardon? Playing, right? What would be the aspect? Like recreation, right? We call them recreation centers when we build buildings where you go and play and enjoy life, right? And there's this part of recreation that we experience in our culture. So what would be some examples of recreation? Swimming. Fishing. Skiing, right? These, these things that we can do that don't necessarily accomplish that much, but they're a way that we experience creation itself. And so swimming, we get to be in the water, and there's, there's no really objective in swimming, unless you get competitive, but you're really just floating in water, right? E- even when you're skiing or snowboarding down a mountain and you get to experience the intimacy of the mountain and the snow, there's, there's no really objective behind it other than just enjoying the presence of the surroundings, right? And being sort of intimate with creation. And so these aspects of, of recreation are our ways of, of drawing us into that relationship with creation. Now what I ask you is when we think of recreation through those lenses, do we realize how theological what we're doing is? And do we realize how deeply spiritual those activities are? some sense, maybe? Because when we think of this word recreation, it's, it's very crucial for us to understand in deeply theological terms of, of recreation as being part of our mission. And so what I find interesting is we've looked at Genesis, but when, when we go on through the, the New Testament writers, uh, John begins his gospel with very familiar words from Genesis, right? And what are the familiar words that John uses in relation to Genesis? In the beginning, right? In the beginning. What is John saying? Can, can this Bible have two beginnings or what is John getting at? This is John very strategically using this language to point out that in Jesus... And because of Jesus, a new creation, a recreation is being established. And so Genesis is the story of creation, and John begins his gospel by saying this is the story of recreation. This is what God is doing. And I mean, each of the gospels sort of has this themes. I mean, Matthew's opening words sort of have this description as well, and we sort of skip over it because Matthew just begins with this boring genealogy um, but, but really, this genealogy is the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. The genesis, the beginning of new creation. And so this parallel between Genesis 2.4 and Matthew is so clear. 
And, and so what we realize, even from the gospel writers, and as we even walk in through the New Testament to the book of Revelation, we realize that this theme and this writing of God's recreation is such a powerful theme to the point where, where we come to the end of the story of Scripture and we're, we're hanging out in Revelation and we get to the end of Revelation and Revelation 21.5 says, See, I am making all things new. What's he hinting back to? This, the story of, of recreation. Now, just to clarify, I think there's something that we can miss there because this language of new in Revelation, there's two Greek words for new. The language of Greek has two words for new, neos and kainos. And, and neos is this sense of something brand new. Like, like something literally brand new. Like when you purchase a car that no one else has driven, it's off the assembly line, that's a brand new car that has come out of nothing to something, right? That's neos. But, but kainos is a sense of something being renewed or recreated. And it would be like the parallel of, of having a car from the 1940s and restoring it to something like new. Whether you give it a new paint job or re refine the engine or give it new tires, it's renewing it, it's restoring it. And, and this is the language that Revelation is talking about with creation, is that creation is constantly being recreated and renewed. John uses the word kainos, recreation. And so what we realize then is this world that God created us to live in and to function in the relationship we have in creation is, is this relationship that isn't something that God is saying, oh, I made the world, you guys live in it for a while, one day I'm just going to destroy it and be done with it. It's this language of, no, God is renewing and recreating these things, which means that how we relate to creation matters. And its significance matters here and now. And the reason I bring that up is, is for us to realize that recreation and recreation isn't just this future aspiration. It isn't something that we're just supposed to long for in the future where God will make all things right, but it's something that we are called to practice here and now in this life as we prepare for the next. And so for God... On his mission to make all things new, he actually invites us into that narrative and the story of being a people of recreation. So this is how God's kingdom works in the business of making all things new. And so now then, we become these agents, we, we become these uh, missional people that pursue and actively follow and long for and live for recreation and restoration. See, I find it fascinating with the story of Jesus and Nicodemus because Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again, right? And logically our minds go, impossible, right? You can't jump back into your mother's womb, right? It doesn't make sense. But, but what Jesus is getting at is this concept of new creation. Born again to the point where, yeah, you may look like yourself, but you are a new creation. You have been recreated and you have been restored. 
And, and so Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again, not simply for the sake of him being recreated and experiencing new creation, but in order for him to enter what? And enter the kingdom of God. In, in other words, this isn't just for you and your recreation. This is, this is a foundation for you to experience the kingdom life in God. To experience the kingdom of God, which is the restoration and renewal of God's people. And so we realize then this, this mission of, of recreation is so central to who we are. So how do we, how do, we do this? Well, I'm going to give you a, a head start. Next week we're going to be starting a study in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a, a beautiful narrative of the early church of, of how this takes place and what this looks like and very practical implications of it. But, but what I realized going through Acts again and again is, is realizing that the recreation of cultures and societies and communities depended upon two things. It depended on a church that became more like Jesus continuing his mission and it was dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. These were the two driving forces all through the book of Acts that the, not only were the, the disciples and the apostles recreated, but how we saw societies and how we saw communities and how we saw cultures experience recreation. And so how do we, how do, we do this in very practical terms? Now, I want to bring us back to the vision of our relationship between work and creation. Because I think that's the practical aspect of how we see this lived out. How we see this recreation happen in our lives and how we are restored in relationship to creation. And, and I bring this up from a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. He's out of Soma School. He's a few churches too. And this is a concept that I, I think is, is very intrinsic for us to understand of what it means to be people of recreation. Not only to experience recreation and recreation, but to experience it for others. And this is a commitment that they have as Soma Churches. It says, we take the time to what? To rest, to play, to create, and to Restore beauty in ways that reflect God and the work of the gospel to others. And, and, and really it's this, this vision that so what often happens in our vocation is that we don't take the time to do what? To rest. And, and John really brought this out in a culture of, of greed, right? We can so easily experience greed that we want more and more and more so we neglect to rest. And we realize very evidently that our world is not at rest, is it? Our world is, is celebrating an idol of independence that shows we want to be God, which means that we have all these burdens of control and responsibility that shouldn't be ours. We see our world having an idol of work, which shows that we don't trust in the work of God, but we trust in our own. We have this idol of even recreation and play that shows we're entitled to more and to be entertained more, 
But the true result of feeling secure enough to do so is to say that I need to lay these idols down so I can be recreated and so that others can be recreated. And so here's, here's where the beauty of the gospel comes. Because apart from the gospel, people remain restless in their work. And apart from the gospel, people are labored in their rest. And so we, we, we realize that the relationship we have to creation and our work and our vocation so often gets distorted by misunderstandings that we have of the gospel. But here's the beautiful thing. The gospel enables people to rest. Why? Because the work that justifies them has been accomplished in Jesus. In other words, we don't need to find significance, we don't need to find value, we don't need to find worth in our work anymore. Why? Because all those things come from who? From God. Our worth, our value, our dignity is all found in God. Therefore, our work doesn't have to be this place where we prove those things to others, which gives us the beautiful opportunity to do what? To rest. See, it's interesting in the creation. We see this pattern in God's life. God created for six days, and on the seventh, he rested. And then the commandment that God gave to his people reminded them of the creation account and says, you people too are to rest, to experience Sabbath. Why? So that they can be renewed, recreated, restored. This is the vision that God gives us. And, and the beautiful thing is, is we, we can rest. Why? Because we know that God is working. I often say this. I say when we go to bed at night and we sleep, that is actually a deeply theological act. Now, you may just feel like I'm exhausted, I need to lay down, I need to put my head down, I'm just doing it out of necessity, right? But, but think about how God created us to need sleep. I mean, a third of our life is sleep. You think if God wanted us to be more productive beings for his mission, that he would have just eradicated sleep for his church. Oh, you become a Christian, you don't need sleep anymore. God's kingdom would advance a lot quicker, Right? But there's this theological purpose behind it that when we rest our heads on the pillows and when we sleep at night, we are releasing control. We are saying, God, we trust you to work even when we can't. We trust that when we are doing nothing in our minds that you are doing something, right? And so this, this concept is realizing that because as God has accomplished everything necessary for us. What, we, what he started, he will finish. And we can rest. That means whether we're even working or playing or sleeping or creating, we rest in God's work and his abilities and his power. And so our rest then is not only a result of the gospel, but it becomes a demonstration of the gospel. You guys get that? That is how it is part of the mission of recreation. 
What are some other things? So he brings up rest and play. Now, what I find interesting as well is this aspect of beauty. To restore beauty. How is this part of our calling as the people of God? Well, well, N.T. Wright puts it up like this. I don't know if, I don't think I have the slide up, sorry, but this is what N.T. Wright says. And he defines this as an aspect of creation care, adding beauty to our world. And he says, part of the role of the church in the past was, and could and should be again, to foster and sustain lives of beauty and aesthetic meaning at every level. From making, um, from making music in the village pub to drama at the local primary school, from artists and photographers' workshop to still life painting classes, from symphony concerts to driftwood sculptures, the church because it is the family that believes in the hope for new creation, should be the place in every town and village where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community, pointing to the hope that, like all beauty, always comes as a surprise. What a beautiful calling that is, eh? And what we don't often realize is that creating beauty in this world is part of restoring that relationship with creation. Part of bringing beauty into the world is, is how we demonstrate to the world that God is renewing and making all things new and that this is how we can live in harmony with our creation. I, I mean, this is the wild thing about God is, is God didn't just make this utilitarian world. He was, he was not only concerned about functionality, he was concerned about beauty. And he was concerned about our senses to enjoy beauty. He gave us minds to appreciate and, and hands to draw and to write and to create. This is how we experience that restoration in a very practical way. To restoring beauty. And so that's going to look different in our lives. We, we talked about an area of, of planting flowers. I mean, even singing songs this morning is bringing beauty into the world. Um, some of you are artists who bring art into the world, like we did for Advent, which, which enhances beauty. Some of you are construction workers that create houses and beautiful things that people can enjoy and live in. And there's all many aspects of our creation and our relationship to creation is a calling to bring beauty into this world. Why? Because it reflects who God is and what he has done. And it reminds people of the gospel. And so this becomes part of our mission, is to be a people of, of recreation, a people that bring restoration in our relationship with creation. And so we, we realize very theologically, let me just bring you some categories theologically, that if, if God is the creator, do we believe that God is a creator? Amen, right? Which means that we can rest in his creative work and be free to create and worship rather than seeking validation. God is our sustainer, Amen. 
which means that God is sustaining the world so we can sleep at night knowing that he is in control. I mean, Len brought up rhythms. Is sleep not the most daily rhythm that we experience? That is what it means to be aligned along with creation. God is the provider, amen? That means we don't have to worry if God will deliver. We don't have to think. We have to make up for what he's lacking. We, we say, no, God provides, and we can live in that freedom. And then our God is the Redeemer. Amen? And when I say Redeemer, I'm not just talking about the terms of his, his death on the cross for our sins, but God is bringing redemption to all of creation, which means that we can play, we can recreate, we can swim, we can ski, we can run, we can play, we can do sports, whatever it may be, as an act of worship to a God who has given us joy as those who has redeemed what has fallen. And so this, this is how we advance the mission of restoration with creation. We, we live as recreated people, right? This was the story of Nicodemus. We live as, as Corinthians tells us through Paul, that we are new creation when we come to faith in Christ. We live as recreated people in a relationship to a world that needs recreation. And again, that's not just something we long for and look forward to the future. That's something we display and live out here and now in the way that we rest, in the way that we play, in the way that we create beauty, and ultimately in the way that we trust God in our lives. So let's pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we look back on some of the themes that we have discussed this last month, we, we thank you that you are a God who restores us to you. That we are humans who so desperately need a relationship with our Creator and you have made a way through Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to bring you into your holy presence. We thank you for that gift. Lord, we also thank you that you're a God who brings restoration to self. Lord, we so often can live without a sense of meaning or purpose or value, and yet you so graciously give us those things in relationship to you. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who restores us to others, that as you have called us to forgive as you have forgiven us and you have called us to reconcile as far as it depends on us and you have called us to live at peace with others, we thank you that you provide the means and the ability to do so by your Spirit. And Lord, today as we look at restoration with creation, we thank you that you are a God that despite our sin recreates us and recreates this entire world so that the beauty that you long for and the shalom and wholeness and completeness that you long for is entering into this world because of your grace and mercy 
And so we pray that we as a people of new creation would live in light of that and that we would examine the way that we relate to creation in our rest, in our rhythms, in our work, in our play, in our creating abilities. May these things be done in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. And may these things be done in a way that creates a longing for the future hope that is ours, where all things will be made new. Lord, let us live in light of that and experience glimpses of that here and now as we find restoration with creation through your grace. Thank you, gracious God. Amen.